The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. All right, we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 23, and the words are going to be on the screen if you want to read along. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have already come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has also the Father. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you uh, excited to see what your word has. Lord, as we continue to encounter uh, your letter to the early church via your disciple, your friend, John, Lord, we pray for that same type of relationship with you, Lord, living in the light and life and the promise that you offer. Father, Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in a series called First John. We're reading through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, this letter that the Apostle John wrote to the early, uh, early church. And one of the unique things about this letter, specifically, that makes John unique from all the other disciples is he had a very unique relationship with Jesus. In fact, when you read through the Gospel of John, how he describes himself is the one that Jesus loved. Jesus loved him so much that when he was on the cross... When he was about to go back to the Father, he looks at his mother, his earthly mom, Mary, and he looks at John, and he says, John, this is now your mother. And he looks at Mary, and he says, Mom, this is now your son. He entrusts his mom to his best friend. John was one of the early pillars of the church. And at the end of his ministry, he had a passion that everyone would have the same type of relationship with Jesus that he had. He wanted everyone, he said, to have fellowship with Jesus, and that would make his joy complete. That's why he wrote the book of 1 John, that we may be connected to Jesus. And so we looked at 1 John 1 last week. We're going to continue on this week, and I love how 1 John 2 starts off. Because one of the myths in Christianity is once you become a Christian, you're going to have it all together. Yes, before you know Jesus, yeah, there's some muck in your life, there's some brokenness in your life, there's some bad decisions in your life, but once you are forgiven for your sins, once he shows up, you should be better. And then all of us end up finding out pretty quickly that we're not better. And then we start to should on ourselves. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And we look in the mirror and all we see is all the brokenness and all the hurt. And we think that God is looking up from heaven saying, Josh, 
because you should be doing this or that and you're not, well, that's going to affect my relationship with you. And 1 John 2 starts off immediately putting that to rest. He says this. Yeah, yeah. We're having some fun computer issues today. Anyway, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So John isn't writing to say, hey, let's sin abound and do whatever you want. That's not his point. However, he says, but if anybody does sin, and that's all of us in this room, myself, chief of sinners, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for us, but also the sins of the whole world. John's writing to Christians, people who already know the grace and the love of God, and he goes, guys, guess what? God's grace is not just for you, pre-conversion, pre-relationship with Jesus. God's grace and love and forgiveness is for you as you walk with him. And there is freedom in that. There is liberty in realizing that our relationship with God does not depend on how well we execute it down here. God is not looking up from heaven and shooting on you. He loves you. And so when we talk about confession and absolution, it's not about shame. It's about repentance. And repentance is literally the word means to turn from. And so it's from this side of all this muck and junk in my life that I still keep getting trapped in. And we turn back to God and we're like, I don't want that anymore. And he forgives us. And he pours his love into us. And that relationship is again renewed. And the reason why that is so important in 1 John 2 is from here on out, he's going to be talking about how we live out our relationship with this guy named Jesus. And we are all going to mess it up. So as we read through the rest of 1 John, the point is not to make you feel bad about yourself. The point is to give us a clear understanding of where we're at where we need to feel convicted to be like, you know what, I do need to repent from this and turn back, but then to have that relationship and friendship and connection with Jesus that John got to have. So that's where we're going, but it is all based on this reality that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that Jesus is enough, so you are enough. All right, so let's dive in. He says, whoever says, I know him, But does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. This is a big myth within the church, that God wants you to know the right answers to a quiz. And as long as you know the right answers, when you get to the pearly gates in heaven, you're okay. Right? I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Check. God has to let me in. That's nowhere in Scripture. Now, I want you to know that. I want you to know you are forgiven and loved, but that is not what God is after. That's not what being a disciple is about, knowing the right answers. John explains what it looks like. He says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. You see, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John says, you want to have a relationship with Jesus? You want to know the Father and be a disciple. That's what Jesus did. That's how John got his friendship with Jesus. He walked with Jesus here on earth for three and a half years. He laughed with him. He cried with him. 
Because Jesus came not to give us the right answers to a quiz, but to have a relationship and to make us disciples. And one of the best definitions of a disciple I've ever heard is this. It's a deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. See, that's what Jesus has for you. That's what Jesus has for your children. That in the same way that everywhere Jesus went, things got better, that life, that light, that love walked around here on earth. He goes, I want to teach you to live like that. I want you to be my apprentice. I want to raise you up in this. I want to give you the gift and the blessing to be able to pay that forward into the lives of those around you. And in that discipleship, that relationship and connection with Jesus, as he says, is made complete. Relationships grow and they change and they get deeper. Right? It's not a one and done as you get to know people, it becomes more intimate. The, the connections get deeper. The understanding gets deeper. Because again, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's not a quiz. Jesus is not reduced to five presuppositions. Right? Jesus was a person. He was the truth incarnate, living. He was life incarnate, living. He was love incarnate, living. He says, guys, I want to show you what that looks like. I want to live in you, and in living through you, I'm going to make you a copy of myself. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard, and yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You see, the truth he's going to get at is love in a second. And that's Old Testament stuff. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it is an old command, but the truth has changed. Yet I am writing a new command. Its truth is seen in him. That's Jesus. All of a sudden, it's not a bunch of laws that God's interested in. It's in Jesus. And in walking with Jesus, we learn how to figure out what this looks like to live a life of love. He says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So anyone who claims to be in the light and yet hates a brother or a sister is still in darkness. And anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. You see, sin is all about ourselves. And so when we start looking at our relationships and putting tags on them, well, I like this person because they're useful to me. Or I don't like this person because they did X, Y, or Z to me. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to love or hate, ironically, all the same people that I love or hate. And that's one of the best ways you can tell if you're starting to make God in your own image, if he doesn't like all the same people you don't like. If he would literally scroll through a social media page and love the same things you love and dislike the same things you dislike, dislike the same, the same people you dislike, 
We've made him in his own image. But you see, in love, there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And that's the cool thing about love. If you want to sin less, God's answer is not, okay, so I need you to stop thinking about this thing that you're doing. Right? Whatever it is, if it's swearing, if it's drinking, if it's arguing, if it's how you're treating your parents, he doesn't want you to look at the bad. The answer in it, the way that keeps us from anything that would make us stumble, is in love. You see, when we're loving others, when we're loving God with everything we have, and that's where our focus is on, or we're loving other people, and that's where our focus is on, there is no temptation to sin because sin is all about us. And yet in love, in God's grace, we experience real life. In real life, there is nothing to hinder us, that there is nothing to hold us back. And that's what God is after. Jesus told his disciples, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And that is the promise, that is the heart song for God, for you and for your family. And that's what John is writing about. You see, in love, he's made complete in us. That relationship grows and flourishes. He goes on, and then he kind of throws out a lifeline. And I love this about John, because he's got some hard stuff, some stuff where we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, there's some work, there's some repentance that needs there. But then he throws these lifelines out of encouragement. And he says this, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the count of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's this benediction about relationship and about forgiveness and about standing firm. He calls down to his people and he says, God is working in you and I can see it. And I celebrate it. Acts Church Leander, God is working in you. And as your pastor, as a fellow sojourner, I see it. And I celebrate it. And I see Christ's love and his movement. And we're messy and we're mucky and we screw things up. And yet we keep coming back to his grace. And I keep seeing you find different ways to love and to connect and to reflect this Jesus. And it's because of that that we say, okay, we want to be challenged to take that next step in our faith with him. First John continues, and he says, So do not love the world or anything in the world. You see, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, it's not in them. For everything of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all that junk comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires, they're going to pass away. They're temporal. They're temporary. But whoever does the will of God, well, they're going to live forever. He talks about these three different types of sin. And these aren't the only types of sin. But they're three of the big ones. Physical sins. Carnal sins. Right? Taking something physical that God gives us and using them to replace him. Or stuff that we have, which is good, whether it be a home or a job or whatever else, and thinking, but I, I really need what he has. And until I have what he has, there is a gap. And that gap separates me from whoever he or she is. 
or the gap isn't a gap in what I have. It's a gap in who I am. You see, I'm better than everybody else, or I'm at least better than that guy. And then it's like a podium. And as long as we're on a podium and someone is below us, we're not in right relationship with them. And that sin, it breaks things down. And yeah, we might get a temporary high, but it will eventually pass away. And then we're left even deeper, darker, more isolated, more alone than when we started. And John writes and he says, guys, God has something better for you. God has more for you. He has life and light and peace that will last not only here and now, but into eternity. John writes, Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no, one, no lie comes from the truth. So who's the liar? It's anyone that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. The Antichrist is probably one of the least understood concepts in Scripture, at least within the last hundred years, because Hollywood has gotten involved. And mind you, I love Hollywood. I love blockbusters. I love explosions. I clearly love the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am all about big box office shows. But what they have done with the Antichrist is they've turned him into a person. And so if you watch a show like Supernatural, or if you watch any show about the quote-unquote end times, and the Antichrist shows up, it's a person. And they're normally far off, way more interested in what's going on in the world than anything that could be going on in my life. Right? In the same way that maybe God has bigger things on his mind than me, well, certainly the Antichrist does. That is not who or what the Antichrist is. Antichrist literally comes from the word anti-Messiah. And it is anything that either takes us away from Jesus, replaces him, or gets us to do something that we know is not in line with him. And there are thousands of these. And we each have our own personal set. I've talked about this before, but my checking account can be an antichrist for me. Because as long as it's above X amount of money, I am secure, I'm safe. But if it drops below that number, my security, my fear level just starts to rise because my trust isn't in Jesus, it's actually in the bank account in that moment. It could be in the people group that I hang out with. And I think, well, if they saw that I said something to this person or I agreed with this person, they would ostracize me. And I know Jesus wants me to love them, but I... Yeah. Could be a social media account. Could be something that God has given you that you trust in or love more than you love him. That pulls you away. The Antichrist is not a specific person. It's whatever gets between you and Jesus. And John is saying, guys, Jesus wants a relationship with you, and he doesn't want anything to get in the way of that. He goes on 
He says, as you see, as you, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Because if you, if it does, you will remain the son and the father. And this is what he has promised you, eternal life. See, I'm writing things to, these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. You see, in John's time, the early church had co-opted the culture of the day. And so Christianity was spreading. And in Greek culture, they were okay with two ways of looking at Jesus. Jesus could either be a good teacher or Jesus could be a distant God, but not a physical one. Because the physical world was broken. The physical world was beneath God's notice. And so there were two main thoughts within early Greek Christians that were becoming antichrist. Good teacher Jesus, distant God Jesus. And John writes and says, guys, that's not what he's about. He's more than just a good teacher. He's more than a self-help book that you can agree with when it's comfortable and disagree with when it's not. And he is intimately involved in what's happening in your life. And he is present and he is here and he is wrapping his arms around you and he wants that relationship that I have, John says. He wants that same relationship with you. And then he ends and he says this, And as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just that it has been taught to you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. See, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what has been right, what is right, is born of him. I want to focus on these two words. Real. Your anointing is real, not counterfeit. Because right now we are having a hard time figuring out what's real and what's counterfeit, aren't we? There are so many voices. There are advertising budgets with billions and billions and billions of dollars telling you, if you just have this mutual fund, if you just have this Instagram account, if you just have this house or this spouse or this amount of money, that's real. We live in a time and in a season where the storms of life are just assailing us. And what's scary is it's even worse for this next generation. The amount of voices, like sin's the same in every generation. I'm not saying 50 years ago was better, but there are just so many more voices today than there were even 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And we can pick and choose which voices we hear or ads targeted to us tell us which voices we hear. Yesterday, I got to meet with uh, all of, well, not all of the Axe leadership, but representatives from the Axe leadership, both at Leander, but then all across the Axe church network. And all of us were coming together to ask the question, what is God uniquely doing at this congregation? And it was awesome. We prayed together and we talked together and we reflected. And the common theme, one of the 
core fears, challenges that we said was how many different voices our families, individuals, and our children are hearing. And that storm and that wind, it's so loud. And the tools that we used to use don't work as well as they did. It used to be, we're going to send our kids to a morning program or an evening program, and we're going to have these Bibles. And that worked in our rhythm of life, but it doesn't work that way anymore. And so we as a church committed to saying, that's got to be priority number one. But the cool thing was, the priority doesn't come out of my best thinking or our leadership's best thinking. As I reflected on what we were talking about, a promise of Christ came to mind. This is from the gospel. This is truth incarnate. And I don't know what season of life you are in. I don't know if you have just come out of a storm. I don't know if you are in the middle of a storm where the fear and the world is just knocking you down. Or I don't know if you're going to be heading into one. But it's one of those three. Coming out, in the middle, or going in. And that's all of us. But there is a promise. There is gospel. There is good news. And it comes from the lips of Jesus. He says this in Matthew 7. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain will come down. The streams will rise. The wind blew. And it will beat against the house. But it did not fall. Because its foundation is on the rock. Acts Church Leander, you have a God who is the solid rock, whose foundation can withstand any storm, any amount of wind, any amount of time where you look out and you're like, those waters are getting pretty high. Jesus stands and says, I know, but I've overcome the world, and you're with me now. You're built on me now. And that's where we are going as a church. That every home, whether or not you're single, whether or not you're like me and Erica, married, no kids, whether or not you have 18 kids, that every home would have the resources and the tools and experiences to be built on the solid rock that even when the storms of life come, they will stand. And they will stand into eternity and they will be full of light and love because they are full of Jesus. You have a God who promises a foundation. And it's not just for you. He says this promise is for you and for your children and for all whom the Lord our God calls. And he is calling out to all of us. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You are a God who continually invites us into relationship, into life. Lord, you see us as we are, but you don't shame us into change. You invite us into relationship. So, Father, Lord, we come before you now in confession that, yes, there is stuff in the mirror that isn't of you. There were decisions this week maybe decisions this morning, Lord, that didn't reflect your light and love, where we allowed the sin of the flesh or of the eyes or our pride to get in the way of our relationship with you or our relationship with others. And yet, Father, Lord, we are bold to confess because you say that you forgive us, that your grace is not just 
pre-relationship with you, but pours down over us in relationship with you, connects us back to the life and light and who you are and what you're doing. Lord God, we come before you asking to connect to you. We say this all in your son's precious name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.